Hey, I'm Brad Cooper, and this is the Creative Sheet Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogan. I'm flying solo today. Uh, Roman is not sitting across the table here in the studio with me as he normally would be due to the fact that he and his wife just had their first baby boy. Uh, so excited for them. Congratulations, Roman and Julianne. Uh, Logan is awesome. You guys are going to be incredible parents. Um, so he will not be joining us on the show today, but folks, we still have a phenomenal interview for you. This is episode 35, 35 of the Creative Sheet podcast. We've got quite the archive now of some phenomenal interviews that I would encourage you to check out. And folks, thank you for listening. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. Uh, I know there's plenty of other things you could be doing, plenty of other podcasts you could be listening to, and you've chose to listen to this one. Thank you for that. And hey, while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and hit subscribe. If you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or maybe the Google Play Store, Hit subscribe, leave a review. From what I'm told, those reviews help the algorithms. Uh, that's something that's beyond my pay grade, uh, but help us get in front of more leaders like yourself uh, and, and uh, share it on social media. Uh, sure would appreciate that. Folks, we've got a great interview for you today here on episode 35. We've got Brad Cooper from New Spring Church out in Anderson, South Carolina. And before we jump into this interview, you may have heard the news recently of what's going on with uh, with New Spring and, and Perry Noble. And I would just like to say, folks, this isn't a time to write a blog post uh, to get more views uh, or to uh, try to figure out what exactly went wrong. I think the absolute best thing that we can do at this time when, when uh, brothers and sisters in Christ go through a troubling time is, number one, to just pray for them. Pray for Perry Noble. Pray for New Spring Church. Perry Noble has done some amazing things for the kingdom of God and uh, written some incredible books, built an amazing church with the incredible team out in Anderson. This is a great time just to, to reflect and to pray, to pray for Perry Noble, to pray for New Spring Church as he takes these next steps, uh, and as New Spring takes these next steps. Uh, I would just encourage you to do that. Without further ado, though, folks, let's get to today's interview with Brad Cooper. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, honored to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Absolutely, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. And before we jump into our topic of today, uh, just for anybody out there listening uh, that may not know much about Brad Cooper, which I don't know how you can't uh, at this point, but uh, man, how'd you get your start in ministry? Perfect. Well, I actually, I did not uh, aspire to be in ministry. I had no uh, plans to. I was actually just uh, working with a, a parent church organization called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I was ministering to college athletes uh, at the university where I was getting my master's degree. And that university was Clemson and uh, started carrying athletes to a, a, a church that was getting planted in the region called New Spring Church, pastored by Perry Noble. This was in like 2005. Uh, New Spring didn't even have a facility at the time. And uh, I, I just was trying to disciple young men and women um, that were in college toward the Lord and doing everything I could. And one thing led to another. I got connected at the church, started serving, and uh, got involved with the student ministry. And fast forward, uh, ended up responding to a full-time call in the ministry to the chagrin of my parents at the time. And, uh, and 
Now, honestly, nowhere near where I thought I would be. I uh, thought I was headed into a family business with a master's degree in construction, but God had other plans. <laughs> and now, so that was in 2005. Fast forward to today, where you're still at New Spring with Pastor Perry Noble and leading a ton. I mean, you've got your hand in a lot. If I'm not mistaken, your title is Executive Pastor of Ministries. Is that correct? That's it, man. And I don't know how in the world I got here other than just every day getting up and doing what uh, was in front of me. But yeah, essentially, I came in as the youth guy, and I'm still the youth guy from the outside looking in. Most people see me as the guy that does student ministry. But just through the years, uh, the Lord has been gracious and put some great leaders around my table and allowed me and the team just to keep moving forward. And so now in the multi-site context, uh, I get to help lead a team that oversees all the ministries that New Spring Church replicates at each campus, essentially. So kids ministry, student ministry, discipleship ministry, volunteer ministry, uh, and groups ministries. And then we also have a a leadership college that um, is also sitting, sitting in my room with me. So we have a lot of fun and plenty of challenges. No kidding. Uh, so you said discipleship. Is that is that what you is your next steps? Is that your discipleship? Yeah. So that's exactly right. The old school way to say it would be discipleship, but we say it next steps because just you know we're vision stated. We're trying to reach people far from God and teach them to follow Jesus. So if you don't grow up in a church context, you don't probably know what the word discipleship means. And a more contextual way to say that to just the average Joe is it's just taking your next step in towards the Lord. And so uh, we call it our next steps ministry. And, uh, and so it, it's everything from the very start of a walk with the Lord, which is in many ways going public in baptism, water baptism, um, to, you know, being a leader and leading a team in the volunteer ranks or having a home group in your house, serving alongside people on mission, um, you know, in a, in a actual mission trip or something like that. So it, it has a gamut of different areas, but that's what we call our next steps ministry. So all those things you just rattled off right there, that that's kind of enough in and of itself. But to boot, you guys have how many campuses at the time of this recording? Right now we've got 17 campuses and, uh, and you know, we've got a vision to try to reach 100,000 people in our state for Jesus. And uh, that vision has just been something we've been marching towards. But 11 of those campuses uh, are in in some level of a, a facility, either permanent or load in, load out, you know, a school, a convention center, uh, six of the campuses we call community campuses. And so they're a much more organic, small, started in a house and have now all moved into like a community center, CrossFit gym, elementary school. So they're, they're, you know, a little bit smaller in their scope, but they're on the way towards those bigger 11. So currently we've got 17 campuses that we're helping to uh, oversee right now. That's just amazing, and I definitely don't want to let this take uh, the main point from the from the conversation today. But if you could, real quick, you mentioned the uh, the smaller campuses that started in a home. I've been fa- I had a conversation with you a while back about this, and I've been fascinated with this concept ever since. Uh, can you give us just kind of a nutshell version of how you guys got to this and how that worked starting a campus in someone's home? Yeah, it's definitely a unique challenge. And it's not something that's been kind of uh, the way we've gone about it. You know, I would say each one of our campuses has kind of started a little bit differently, but here's what we saw. We got the um, multi-site vision in 2008 and started really trying to identify the cities in our state that we wanted to be in. 
you know, we wanted to get all the math together, the leaders together, the right, you know, critical math and the plan and did all those things. Um, and really, we got ourselves to a place where numerically we had the cash flow and the economy had the downturn where we were able to really jump on some opportunities and upfit facilities in cities we had not been in for a really good. We were getting a lot of bang for our buck is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And so we would go into a city and uh, had the ability financially uh, to go in and upfit a facility and had a leader in place. And we would open up a campus. And boom, we'd have butts in seats almost immediately. But what we realized pretty quickly was those folks that were coming, they weren't really bought in culturally yet. They were attending, uh, but you know, based on the giving per person, based on the volunteerism, based on those kind of things, we could see that they, they are not necessarily our people. And so we learned rather quickly that if we were going to do this and do it successfully, we needed to build people before we built buildings. It seems really simple and obvious, but we made some mistakes on the way uh, to get to where we did. So we began to rethink, and we leaned into the proverb that says, uh, it tells the farmer, hey, man, plant your fields before you build your barns. And we had mm. done it backwards. We had actually gone and taken advantage of the economy and real estate, and we had built barns before we had planted our fields. So the community campus was born out of that. We decided to identify leaders that were called to communities. And just like New Spring Church 16 years ago was started out of a living room, we wanted to start our new campuses out of living rooms. And so we jumped into kind of an organic streaming of what was going on at the the broadcast campus and then slowly building relationships, building people. And then when the the demand uh, in those cities uh, raised up, then we would come along with the supply of the next staff member in the facility, et cetera. So now we're in the process of walking six of these house campuses into this kind of ramp up into a full-blown campus. So it's been a really cool journey. That's where we've been pretty much the last 24 months at New Spring Church. And we've seen a lot of success and fruit in that. This last weekend, as we're recording this, we had over 2,000 people that were attending a community campus uh, at one of our six locations. So it's been really, really fun. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, love love that so much, and man, maybe another time we can have a conversation more just on that topic. But really what I wanted to jump into today with you is that, like you said, 17 campuses, you've got the youth ministry, the kids ministry, next steps or discipleship, your volunteers, as well as the New Spring College. You're leading a lot. I mean, a lot. New, New Spring is a huge church, plus all this that you're talking about here. This is a lot going on. And so Really what I wanted to tackle today, I think you sit in a really great spot to talk about um, a concept of, of uh, I guess I'll call it three 360 degree leadership, uh, leading yourself, leading people that we would quantify as on the same level as you, of course, those that you lead and then those that you're being led by. And so let's jump into that conversation here. Uh, love something you posted on Twitter that you had asked your dad uh, what the most important <laughs> lesson in leadership is. And I loved his answer. So why don't, why don't you take it from there? All right. All right. Well, you'll have to keep me on track here because I could talk a lot about my dad. He's a personal <laughs> hero of mine. My father's who led me to Christ. Wow. And uh, he raised me um, in, a, in the church. My mom and dad, Christian folks, and I was raised in the church my whole life. Uh, but I you know, he's not a minister. My dad is a construction worker. Uh, he's the son of a construction worker, uh, and he's in a family business. Um, and then it's been a successful family business. And so I'm with my dad and I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn leadership all the time and I'm a young leader and I want to be a better leader. 
And so I just asked my dad one day, what's the greatest leadership lesson you've ever learned, dad? And um, we were actually playing golf. And uh, so, you know, he kind of breaks away and, and we play a couple of holes and he's kind of thinking about it. And uh, just out of nowhere, two holes later, you know, so it's probably 15 minutes ago by and he said, well, you know, I guess there's not a greater leadership lesson than lead by example. And, um, and then he kind of went into a little bit of a diatribe on what that looks like in his context as a construction man, as a businessman, and not asking things of his people that he's not willing to do for himself, uh, that they wouldn't see in him. And, uh, and that's true. I mean, that's, that's true of Christ. That's the power of the theology of the incarnation is that God wants to relate to us. He is not a distant God, but he is right here and he gets into our space and he wants to be able not to just sympathize, but to empathize with people. Uh, and the Bible tells us, you know, all through Hebrews that he is able to understand where we are, that he's endured all the temptations that we have endured. And so we can lean into him with anything we struggle with because he gets it. And, uh, and so I think that's what a great leader is. They are indigenous. I like that word. They're indigenous and they're with the people. And, um, and you know, nothing is ever um, uh, above their ability to jump in and do it. Uh, and just because they're moving up the leadership ranks uh, necessarily, you know, the hierarchy doesn't mean that they're, they're ever going to just, you know, get too big to do the small, simple things that make them a great, great leader. So anyway, that's where my dad was. Um, and uh, that's the answer to, to the question. And I love I loved it. And so I thought I better chat with some folks. So anyway, I don't know if that's where you want to jump off into the 350 degree conversation or not. But that's that's where my dad uh led me when it came to the number one rule of leadership. Yeah, I love that so much because, I mean, anybody will tell you uh, that leadership all starts with you. I mean, if you can't lead yourself, how are you going to lead others? And so uh, right. w- would you agree with that? I would a thousand percent agree with that. I think that that is the question that needs answering in any leadership lid moment. Anytime you get into a barrier scenario, and it doesn't matter if that barrier is, you know, growing your ministry to, you know, 50 people to 100 people, or if that barrier is in the marketplace trying to, you know, grow your margins in the bottom line, every single time the place to start and ask some really diagnostic questions that I have seen has got to be start with yourself. And that if the company or or the, the church or the ministry is going to navigate the path ahead, it's going to begin with a leader asking the questions of themselves, you know, what needs to change in me? Uh, what do I need to grow in? What do I need to learn? What do I need to make myself open to or available in? And uh, and as as goes the leader, so goes the ministry, so goes mm. the organization, so goes the team. Um, and that's I mean look at look at every single leadership context. It doesn't matter if it's U.S. military or if it's marketplace Forbes, if it's Jim Collins and Good to Great, or if it's in great church leadership. Everywhere I look, I see the same principle because it's all God's truth, that so goes the leader, so goes the organization, the team, or the company. Man, that's really good. So with that, uh, with everything that you've got your hand in, have you had to really narrow your focus on what areas you are leading? I know it's a little bit of a sidestep, but I believe this is a really key part of leading yourself. Yeah, I think, you know, I was just sharing this earlier today with someone. Uh, and if you'll give me a moment, I'll, I'll unpack the way that the Lord has done this sanctification move. Um, I, I kind of put it in a, a place of my own life. When I was 18, 
uh, I really feel like for the first time I started to walk in making some really hard decisions. I'd been a Christian for several years at this point, but I really started to try to make war on my sin. I really started to try to say yes to good things and say no to bad things. For me, it was sometime in high school, you know, 18, early college years. I wanted to say yes to good things and no to bad things. And that was kind of the way that I led my life, you know, filled up my calendar with good things, tried to remove the bad things. Uh, and that worked. And then somewhere in my mid-20s, as I got into, into leadership, I realized that it wasn't just saying no to, to bad things and yes, yes to good things. I really had to, there was a higher calling. And so in order for me to focus and, and really get the most out of my days, I had to start saying no to good things and yes to only great things, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was really in my early days in leadership, that my calendar would be filled up with good things. I'd have good requests. I'd have good opportunities. I'd have good lunches, good, you know, chances to get breakfast with people, but they weren't necessarily the great things. And good and greater arch enemies is what Jim Collins tells us mm. in his book, Good to Great. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, practically speaking, if you say yes to B's in school, you'll never get the great A, right? And, um, and so everybody knows that. So somewhere in my mid-20s, I had to start saying no to good things and yes to great things. And so that's how I narrowed my focus. Well, here in the last three years of my leadership life, I thought that I was I was there, that that was going to be the tension I'd constantly have to manage was good to great. But there's a new tension. Now I find myself as a husband, a father of two, um, way above my, my you know, competencies in, in leadership and always feeling like I'm swimming in the deep end. I had to find another way to lead. And that way is saying no to great things to say yes to only the God things. Mm. And so that, that is the way I've been narrowing my focus. That's the way my team begins to think about what we say yes to. That's the reason I'm on your podcast today, because we felt like this was a God thing. It wasn't just a great opportunity. We felt like Creative Sheep was a God opportunity. And it would be a chance to, to speak some encouragement to some leaders um, that are in the same space that I'm in. And so that, that's really how I now go about my day, managing my calendar. What do I say yes to? What do I say no to with all the things that are coming at me? I want to say yes to God things and only God things. And so the last couple of years have been about me saying no to great things. Things that used to be great priorities have now become not the priority. They're not a God thing. And so that's really served me well in the last couple of years. I love that. I love the the good to great and then great to God. That is that is beautiful. So let me ask you this then. Do you have, um, like, uh, for example, like Craig Rochelle, he has— uh, three or four things that are his areas of focus, and these are the only things he works on. It may even be two. I'm, I'm kind of slipping right now. Of course, weekend is a big deal for him. His messages and then building leaders are the main areas that he stays focused. And I mean, Life Church is, Church is just killing it. At the time of this recording, I think there are 24 or 25 campuses uh, throughout the U.S. and still growing like crazy. Um, Andy Stanley does something similar. He's only got a couple of things that he focuses on. Do you have your your areas of focus kind of structured like that? Yeah, I, you know, I think those guys are both their their leadership podcasts are about as gold as they get. Right. But I think, and I can't remember if it's if it's if it's them or not. But you know, one of the ways that I, I that I really do uh, think about my schedule is the important and urgent, right? And uh, and I like to think about dieting like this, physical fitness. Say yes to the important things, schedule and be proactive about the important things, or they'll become urgent things that you have to deal with later. And a lot of times the leadership bottleneck in my schedule, in my calendar, in my budget 
in my time management has to do with things that all of a sudden start dictating to me. And now they become urgent and I become reactionary leader instead of proactive leader. But if I'll take the time to schedule the important things, then they don't become urgent things. And so I'm, you know, physical fitness and my diet is important. So I'm not going to anticipate when I'm 40 having an urgent call from the doctor because I've got type 2 diabetes and everything's got to change. If I don't, I'm going to end up paying some really, really tough consequences. So the same kind of thing's true when it comes to being important to disciple and be a great husband and, uh, and be a great father to my girls. That's important to me now while they're young because I don't want it to just be the urgent thing I have to react to when they're teenagers. Uh, and so honestly, that's the way I lead. And so for us, um, the team that I'm on is Pastor Perry's executive team. That's an important priority. And the team that I serve uh, and lead is the, is the central ministries team. And that's an important priority. So that team getting one-on-one intentionality from me. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, I still carry a fair share of preaching um, from the platform at our church. And so about 25 times a year, that's an important priority. Those are really the three big, big things. Um, and then everything becomes the same between those big stones in my, in my schedule. So whatever else I can get allowed, uh, I've got a great, uh, assistant Austin that really helps me manage that. And so he knows those things. And so he tries to help me prioritize the important and then we can react into the urgent things that come along. But the important things are always always prioritized in my schedule throughout the work week in my team meetings. So I don't know if that helps, if that's what you're looking for, but that's the way I think about it. That definitely does help. And and man, huge shout out to your assistant, Austin. He is the man. Like he has been on top of it. All of his communication has been phenomenal. So major shout out to, to uh, your assistant, Austin. He's the man. Um, as far as, okay, okay, so taking this to the next step, you're leading yourself, you hone in on your areas of focus, uh, you go from good, not only just bad to good, but good to great, and then great to God. So now in leading yourself, kind of the next step here, let's look at like leading the people that report to you. Um, what, let's just talk about kind of a standard week for you. What kind of, with, with everything that you have your hand in, obviously there's no possible way that you can do all of that at the same time. So what does a, a kind of a standard week look like for you where you're pouring into the kids ministry and the college and uh, uh, the volunteers and discipleship? How does all of that kind of flow together? Because you can't have a hand in everything I'm sure you're having to rely more on your influence to make this happen. So what does that look like in, in the context of your schedule? All right, cool. Well, uh, let me know if I miss anything, but just the standard week stuff for us, you know, I really try to think about it like this. So if you want to push 30,000 foot up and away, this is what helps me. I think about a, a red solo cup, right? We talk about red solo cups at New Spring Church. Hello, red <laughs> solo cup. Uh, and I think about being poured into and being poured out. And so I never want to think about pouring myself out for um, too long without getting poured back into. Mm. Or transversely, I never want to get poured into multiple days in a row or multiple meetings in a row without pouring out. So I really like to think about it balanced. And for me, the way we've set it up is I think about it in, in half-day chunks, morning and afternoon with a break at lunch. And so I, I never want to have three consecutive blocks of time in my schedule where I'm pouring out or I'm being poured into, I, you know, I might have two at a time, but I'm not going to have three at a time. Cause I feel like that's the way it helps me stay balanced. 
And so across the board on my schedule, that's how I've managed my schedule through the years. And it has been super practical, but super helpful. Maybe one day it won't work, but up until now, it has served me well. So let's start at the beginning of my work week. It is Sunday, and Sunday is literally a pour-out day all day long. And, uh, and so typically for us, I'm traveling to one of our campuses, or I'm serving at our broadcast campus, and I'm pouring out. We're doing training. We're meeting with people. We're talking to great leaders in our church, up-and-coming leaders. Um, many times I'm out trying to encourage our campus pastors or the campus teams or the campus ministries that I'm helping oversee and just provide good feedback and celebration. We really take celebration and, and celebrating the right things and, and catching people doing the right things. Those are big priorities for us. So Monday, that's the way that looks. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, Sunday, that's the way that looks. Coming into Monday, the first part of my day, I'm really – I'm, I'm actually, you know, crazy as it sounds, starting my Monday a little bit slower as I'm making sure I'm connecting with the Lord and getting all my ducks in a row and planning. And then I, and that's the first part of my morning. And then I step into a creative meeting for our student ministry that I don't drive anymore. Uh, our student director, Tyler Tatum drives and I just kind of supplement. And so really they're pouring, they're pouring into my world about what they're doing in student world. And I'm just kind of offering up any help I can or soundboarding. And then if I'm going to be sharing the sermon that, that week that we're planning for, then I may pull out a little bit on the notes. But by and large, I'm not driving that meeting. I don't have to feel the weight of making everything move. So the first part of my day on Monday, that's the way that works. The second part of my day on Monday, I'm meeting with the executive staff, and we are with Pastor Perry. And uh, it's a lot of important into by him vision, but it's also we have the the last part of our day. Pastor Perry leaves it. And it's just the rest of the executive team, and we're trying to figure out all the things that he's asked us to do. We're trying to figure out how do we need to do it. What's our you know uh, operational takeaways and walking out steps? So my Monday is a full day of meeting. Um, Tuesday is a little different. I meet with my directors, so I'm giving them all the vision that I got from the executive team on Monday. Tuesday morning, I'm pouring it out because I look at my central team kind of like a spinal cord is to the body. Each one of my central leaders has a, a you know, a, a, a counterpart represented on each campus, and so they've got to get the messages out. We've got to get the feedback back, and so they are, they're an intricate part of the way we do church, and so as the spinal cord, we've got to all be on the same page and be sending and receiving, and so I want to make sure that we're all on the same page first thing Tuesday morning, every single Tuesday. My team and my, my directors and I, we have the morning together. Um, sometimes we eat breakfast together once a month or so, uh, and we go all the way up until lunchtime, making sure I'm getting all their questions answered, but I'm giving them all the vision so that they can lead their team uh, and all, all those that are looking to them for leadership. Uh, and then Tuesday afternoons, I'm meeting with uh, a couple of those team members one-on-one, -on -one, and I'll have a little bit of a, usually it's about an hour-long one-on-one meeting, at least every two weeks with one of my direct reports, we have a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Make sure I'm understanding what's going on in their life. We have a saying in New Spring, we care more about who people are becoming than what they're doing. And so this is a real practical way to schedule that. I want to know how my, you know, my director's family is, how his kids are, how her kids are, how, you know, the vacation that's planned in the next future is going. And is there anything I can be praying for? But then what are their, op, you know, what are their obstacles that I can serve them in doing? Hey, what's the biggest problem you've got? What's the greatest frustration that you've got? It's really a leadership development time both for them and I, and then that's my Tuesday. Let me jump um, in on Wednesdays that one. Wednesdays are typically off for me because, 
we still drive a lot of the content on, on Wednesday nights for our student ministry. Um, and so Wednesday nights I travel a lot or I'm preaching. So Wednesday mornings are a pour in time. Wednesday afternoons pour out time as we're doing stuff with students. And then Thursday mornings are a, are a pour, uh, pour out time. Uh, after we do our student gathering on Wednesday night, we're doing a lot of evaluation and critique and training. And so that's what I've spent the majority of today. Today is Thursday. We're recording this. I don't know when everybody's listening to it, but the first part of my day today is, is pour out. And, uh, and then Thursday afternoon, I'm off. And we are priority off two-day weekends. Friday and Saturday are off days for everybody at New Spring Church because we rest so that we would work. We do not work so that we would rest. Uh, that's one of the beliefs we've got in our church. So anyway, I hope that answered the question. Uh, I don't know if there's any place you want to dig into, but I just think of it like pour in and pour out and try to stay balanced. Man, that's amazing. Yeah, let's dig in just a little bit. You said that, and, and you may have tackled this, and I might have missed it, but you said that uh, you pour into your direct reports. How many direct reports do you have? So currently, I have an assistant who really uh, is a team, you know, really a project manager. He's way more than an assistant. Uh, and then I have a kid spring director, which is our birth to 12. I've got a student director, which is 12 to 18. Uh, I've got a, a next steps director, which is that discipleship director. Uh, I've got a guest services director, and I have a, a leadership college, so six. Six total. Okay. So, and just out of curiosity, not that necessarily the time matters, how long do you take in your one-on-ones every other week? Uh, minimum of an hour, typically. Um, you know, sometimes an hour and a half. We block an hour and a half, but typically it's right about an hour. And, um, and really, that's their time. I, I, you know, if there's anything specific that I need to get to them, typically I can get that done in our, in our group context. Uh, but I want this to be for them and for their own personal development and needs. Wow. Very, very cool. I love what you said, that we care more about who you're becoming rather than what you're doing. Uh, that's just such an amazing yep. heart to have. Uh, is that something that has been in, in motion since the beginning of New Spring, or was that something that came That is came exactly under? right. That is, I am quote, yeah, I'm quoting Perry Noble. Wow. Uh, and that is, you know, when, when staff comes on board in their, in their onboarding process, that is a statement that he shares that, you know, hey, everything that you do, all the things you produce, those are all great, and you're going to do a lot of great kingdom work. But what the, you need to know is we care more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. Because if you're becoming the right thing, you're going to do the right thing. If you're Man. becoming the right person, you're going to do the right things. And so we just believe that with all our heart. That's amazing. Now, as far as uh, developing the team, because there is the aspect, like you said, there you're going to do some amazing work for the kingdom. There are things we're going to do, so that's obviously still a part of the job. What kind of wins, or how do you guys gauge the wins? How 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 do you set the expectation? I know this is kind of a broad question, but just as far, especially when we're talking about six different areas of leadership with uh, your six reports, but as far as setting clear wins, because you don't get to reaching, I think last I saw you guys were around about 30,000 in size in terms of attendees. Is that is that roughly where you guys are? Sure, that's perfect. So with that... Yeah, I, I think the... the the way we go about it, honestly, from an, from an operational standpoint, remove the human element just on paper. We have very clear stated vision, values, and standards in each area uh, that I'm overseeing. And that's across every campus, across every ministry. 
Um, we want to make sure that everybody understands the aim. Um, if you don't know what the aim is, uh, then you're not going to win. And, um, and that's just a really frustrating place to be. But it's uh, honestly enough, it's where a lot of church leadership gets because you just don't even know what winning is. And so everything begins to be personal preference and, um, and it just gets really muddy and blurry and ambiguous. And so we want to clearly state the expectations of, you know, each job, each ministry, each job description. And that way the wins uh, and that people are being successful or people not being successful, it's known. So, you know, before we even put the human element to it, those things are already in place. The blueprint is there, vision, values, and standards. Um, another way to think about it is the why. Vision is the why. The values is, is the how. And the standards are the what. So the why, how, and what of each ministry, it's stated. That way, every single ministry is replicated exactly as we want it to be across 17 campuses. That's one of the ways we protect our DNA and the culture, um, because we are one church in many locations. We, we want to make sure that's the case. So then you come in and you add the human element. And the way I love to think about this, because it's the truth, is that everybody's a unique, gifted leader. And uh, and so one of the most helpful books that I've read on this subject is Mark Miller's Chestnut Checkers. He's the leadership guru behind Chick Fil A's leadership development program. But long and short of it, and maybe you know you know this too, is chess. All the chess pieces um, they move differently than checkers. And some leaders or managers want to lead people like they're playing checkers, and they want to lead everybody the same way. But the best leaders lead people like you're playing chess, and you shape everyone differently because they're all unique. Some are bishops, pawns, rooks, knights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I want to talk about specific unique goals and specific unique development with my leaders. And so each one of my leaders have some that are very much the same. They all want to be successful ministers, um, pastors. They want to be successful spouses, but some of them are unique and different because, you know, some of them want to get in better shape or others want to read and, and kind of open up their mind in different areas of learning. And so these are different goals that are, you know, unique for each one of my direct reports. Man, that's super cool. I love what you said there, uh, just about the chestnut checkers treating people individually and that there are, the, there are the standards across the board. And I'd love to drill in on that just a little bit in leading those, especially those that are, are reporting to you, um, uh, maybe what are some, if we could pick any one of your direct reports, what are some of those? So we can get super practical with this, the values, the, the or the vision, the values and the standards. Um, really yeah. Any one of yeah. those Yeah, well, areas. probably the one I'm the most, I'm the most familiar with is in the family ministries realm, the kids and the students, because that's where I've been the longest. And so one of, you know, the vision for, um, for our church is the same across every ministry board. It's to reach people far from God and to teach them to follow Jesus step by step. So, Simply, it's to reach and teach. So that vision doesn't change, even though the ministry may be different. It's trying to accomplish that same vision. So the vision's there. The values, every single one of our ministries typically has a value, uh, the how, of things like um, Jesus on their level. So good, practical, biblical teaching. So whether that's kids' curriculum or student preaching or Sunday preaching, it's Jesus on their level. Uh, And some level of godly relationships and community and groups. That's important. So, you know, they word it a little bit differently in the kids' ministry than they do in the student ministry. Um, but by and large, it's all about having, you know, iron sharpening iron, circles, not rows, community, where you're, you know, making each other better, mutualism, uh, and you're mutually encouraging each other on. Um, 
that's that's an important value there. Uh, and then the standards, the what, you know, those are everything from uh, ratios that we're actually going for. So, hey, we want this many volunteers for this many kids in this kind of an environment. Very, very specific, very, very, you know, yes or no, we did it or we didn't do it. Uh, and so for our kids ministry, you know, it might be a safety ratio that, hey, we want them to have one adult leader for every, you know, two babies in the nursery, you know, so it's a one to two ratio. Or then in the, in the you know, preschool rooms, it's a one to three. And then in the elementary school rooms, it's a one to five. And so it might get a little bit, you know, broader as we get just a little bit older and the kid can be a little bit more independent. But that's the what, the standard there. And those standards are uniform across the board. So uh, I hope that gives you a better snapshot. It kind of goes from real broad and wide to real specific um, in a yes or no, pass, fail. Absolutely. How big of a role have those, uh, those, those, the the vision, the values and the standards, how big of a role has that played in the success of New Spring? Uh, I would say, critical thing for us when we started going down multi-site paths and um, you know otherwise you're going to end up having a lot of different churches and regardless of if you say it is one church many locations you have nothing that's in principle trying to make sure it's there so here's the three images I use when I talk about our vision values and standards I use a north star like a compass road uh, and I use uh, a ruler and I use the, a banner like an American flag and I say, that's what vision values and standards are. If you are navigating the Atlantic Ocean in the 1400s um, because you don't know that the New World exists, uh, and you're out in the middle of the Atlantic, Christopher Columbus had a North Star. He had a compass by which to navigate. It's the only way he could have gotten here. And so we're navigating new territory every single day in church world, and we've never been here before. None of us went to school for this. And so we need a North Star, and so that vision statement is a North Star. We are, you know what, as long as we're reaching people far from God and teaching them to follow Jesus, our vision statement is a North Star. Um, the values, in a lot of ways, that's going to be like a, a, you know, a ruler. Um, the ruler is not, you know, a, you think about a wooden ruler like you used in grade school. It doesn't matter if you're at sea level or you're on top of a mountain. It doesn't matter if it's sunshiny or if it's rainy. It doesn't matter if you like the person or you don't. A ruler is 12 inches every single time. And so it doesn't, it's not based on subjective emotion. It's based on objective reality. And so when we're talking about measuring things at every single campus, we don't want it to be on whether or not I love that leader or I'm having a good day or it's rainy today and I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. No, no, no. That's not the way we give our evaluation. We give our evaluation based on here's the ruler. It's the same every day. And then standard, um, a banner, you know, in a battle, if there's a standard, if there's a banner, then you know the army is marching forward. Um, you know, you think about all us great Americans, you can remember the movie The Patriot, right, with Mel Gibson. Um, and, you know, the, the flag falls, it's like the, the climactic scene at the end. And when a flag falls, one of two things happens. Either everybody runs in retreat, or somebody, you know, with a, a big move of bravery and courage picks it up and holds it high again so everybody knows, no, we're still marching forward. In a lot of ways, that's what standards should be. They are us saying, we're holding these things up, these values, standards need to be held up so that everybody knows we're marching forward. We're not playing retreat, retreating here, but we're marching ahead and we're advancing and taking plans. So 
Those visionized standards have served as a north star, a ruler, and a, and a, a standard, a banner for our, our church as we're moving forward, taking ground for the kingdom. Man, those are some great analogies and super, super helpful in, in making this really practical. Um, so let, let's kind of move on to the next uh, layer, if you will, of leadership. So setting proper expectations for those underneath you love the vision, values, and standards. Um, what about leading the folks that are at the same level as you? Um, and this was initially when we had scheduled this conversation, you spoke at the Most Excellent Way to Lead conference and um, phenomenal talk. Uh, it's, uh, it's labeled as the Leadership Accelerator. And uh, wanted to tackle some of that information, and then Pastor Perry had to go and beat me to the punch and put that talk on his podcast. <laughs> so, so, so uh, I, I don't want to dive too much into that because it's a phenomenal talk, and and folks, I would strongly we'll drop it in the show notes for sure uh, that you can jump over to creativesheep.org and grab the show notes there to get the link to this talk, um, or just go to the Perry Noble podcast and you'll you'll find it. Um, but one of the things I, 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 at least for me anyways, that I took away, and I believe this applies to all levels of leadership, not just with those around you, but one of the things you tackled uh, pretty heavily in that, in that talk was asking great questions. And yeah. the, the reason yeah. why I'm pouncing on this at this level of leadership is that typically the folks that are, uh, if you will, at the same level that you are, um, typically, at least from my experience in a way, these are the folks that are not impressed with you. They're not afraid of you. Um, they're willing to tell you what you need to hear. And do you, do you think that's a key part of leading uh, kind of horizontally, if you will? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, and I think that especially as a young leader, um, and I'm a, I'm a, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the DISC personality assessment, but I have a lot of the D-driven, uh, and, I, and I air to speaking first and listening second. And so this is one of those things that I know about myself. And so I, I wanted to try to do something to make up for that, that um, dark side of my leadership, so to speak. So I started recognizing that statements build walls, but questions tear down walls. And so as a young leader, especially someone who is, you know, my peers, uh, a lot of instances are older than me. Uh, even the folks some now that I lead are older than me. And I have a respect for them, the, the New Testament pastoral epistles talk about, you know, lead, I mean, Paul's writing to Timothy saying, hey, treat those older than you like a father and treat those older than you like a mother, even though you're pastoring them. So I want to have that right posture. And so I was trying to figure out, well, what's the right posture? And it just seems to me that question asking from the right spirit, a, a critical thinking mind, is the right posture to help build uh, trust and love and uh, connection and affection with the team you lead, both those you know in your peer world and those that are that are my bosses, that are my direct that have an authoritarian position over me. Me asking questions is the posture I need to be in. It's not a threatening posture. It states that I'm hungry and I'm humble and I'm hardworking, um, but it doesn't state that I'm I'm here to make a bunch of statements and build a bunch of walls and be too aggressive and put everybody on edge and push people to insecurity. It just builds the right culture. And so uh, it also is the way that Jesus in Luke 2, if you go look at it in the temple, he shows us how to grow and accelerate. And he does it via asking questions. And he's God. And so I just, I just was dumbfounded that God would put in his Bible that in Luke 2, he's going to sit down with a bunch of men 
that are rabbis in the temple, and he's going to ask them questions and learn from them and take on this posture uh, as God, which was incredible. But he did it for us. He did it to teach us leadership. And so we just try to serve well, and I think it, it does accelerate our leaders. It earns trust. It earns equity. It earns love. And, uh, and, you know, you'll go a lot further together than you will by yourself, you know? Yeah, I love how you put it in your talk at the conference that you said, I, I think it was something to this effect that you said that Jesus was asking people around him questions, and these were the people he created. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And that's exactly right. But the only reason he did it was to exemplify, back to my dad's rule of best leadership, Jesus was leading by example. He wanted us to see, young leaders, hey, I'm young leader too. I'm young leader God, and I am showing you how to learn and accelerate your leadership. The Bible actually states that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor before God and man. And so if we want to grow, which I do, I want to grow as a leader, I want to grow in all those areas, wisdom, stature, and favor before God and man, the posture in which to do it is a question-asking posture. And so the bottom line, and I, I still believe this to be true, is I believe the greatest leaders of tomorrow are going to be the best question askers of today. Mm. And so I really started to try to be a collector of great questions. And when I hear a great question that's, uh, that's serving others, uh, I try to add it to my list. And then I try to think in every leadership context I'm in, not just at work, but when I meet with other business leaders or, or other parents that are great leaders or coaches that are great leaders, I love to ask them questions because there's always something to be learned. You know, King Solomon told us in the Proverbs that wisdom is in the street screaming aloud. We're just not postured to hear. So I want to be someone that looks for wisdom everywhere I go um, around whoever I'm around. And asking questions is the way we, we search out, seek, and find that great wisdom. What are some? Uh, what are a few of those questions that that you would suggest to use to ask? And this doesn't just apply to, like you said, your peers, but to really any direction of leadership, um, and any setting yeah, of leadership. Yeah, sure. What are, What are I mean, some of those questions you'd recommend? Yeah, I, I think you know one question that I think is great to ask is just, "Hey, what are you learning?" You can ask anybody that. What are you learning? And and just sit and listen. You know, get some fresh bread from them. Um, a question that I like to ask a lot of my team is, what are, what are and, you know, put a number on it. What are two things that I need to keep doing? What are two things that I need to stop doing? In your opinion, you or me, friend, um, you know what I do. You know how I lead. You know what I'm spending my time on. What are two things that I need to make sure I keep doing? And they're going to make sure they tell me, hey, you do this and you need to keep it up. And you do that, and you need to keep it up. It's, it's, it's having the desired effect. But, hey, I've noticed you do this, too, and you have this habit of doing that. I think, man, you can really come at that a different way and you get some more, you know, efficiency in your schedule or margin in your calendar or, you know, in your leadership time or something like that. Another great question I like to ask that I think is super practical, I, I shared this in that leadership talk, is um, the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? I think this is a question of self-awareness, and a lot of us need more self-awareness. I know I do. And so I like to ask leaders that spend time with me. I like to ask my wife, hey, what's it like to be my wife? What's it like to be on the other side of me? Um, what, are the, what are the blessings that come with that? What are the curses that come with that? And uh, one of the ways to kind of get at the, you know, objective facts here is I like to ask people when it comes to your cell phone, 
when your name rings on somebody else's cell phone, they look down after they feel the buzz in their pocket and they see that I'm calling, what's the, what's the feeling that courses through their veins? You know, when they're not protected, they're not guarded, they look down, they see Jared Hogue from Creative Sheep is calling me today. And I go, what? What do I do? Am I excited? Am I, oh man, I can't wait to talk to him. Or he's going to encourage me or he's got something cool to, to let me in on. Or is it, is it fear? Oh no. Or is it, you know, just absolute apathy? Oh, they're just going to be a waste of my time. You know, they've always wasted my time. What is the feeling that, that I am on the other end of the phone to somebody else? I think that's a really great way to get at that question. Uh, another practical one from the business world is uh, if you got fired today and, and your company or, or your church or, or wherever you are hired a really great leader, what are the first two decisions that really great leader would make when they came in to take on your job? And, uh, and you know, instead of getting fired, go ahead and hire yourself and make those two great decisions, you know? So I think that's a really great one to ask. It just kind of helps you prioritize and almost push you over the edge if you've got a really hard decision you need to make, but you know that if you got fired, the next guy or gal coming in to take your place, it would be a, a duh decision. They'd make it immediately. So go ahead and make the duh decision. Um, so those are just a couple of the great questions through the years that I've acquired, and I've got several more. I keep them in a document now, and I'd encourage you to keep them in a document too. Here's another la- a last one. I, a last one to give you. When you're talking to somebody, ask them who who's a relationship or someone that I need to know that you know, uh, and you can introduce me to them. You know, you're meeting with a marketplace leader, or you're meeting with a church leader, or you meet with a business leader, and they've given you their time. Ask them, hey, who's someone that you know that I need to know? Uh, it's a really great way to network, and it you know helps you find some people that you wouldn't just kind of run into day to day. Some amazing, amazing stuff here. Uh, and then, so lastly, here I know we're running out of time, but leading up, uh, leading even though you don't obviously, Pastor Perry's got the the final say at New Spring, uh, but. In leading up, one of the things I've heard him say is if you want your leader to have your back, always keep them informed of what and why. Has that rang true for you at New Spring? (laughs) Absolutely. And I I, I don't remember if this is an old Andy Stanley adage, but we've adopted too. But we just really do believe that you can have honest conversations behind closed doors. And so we want to be honest critics. We want to have a radical candor. And so, you know, that's my job and Pastor Perry's job to create environments where that kind of radical candor can take place amongst a team uh, of folks that love and trust each other. But when we open up the conference door and we go out into the public, we're going to have and be raving fans of one another. Mm. We can ask all the questions we need to ask, and we can push back, and we can feed back, and Pastor Perry has invited all kinds of honest critique and radical candor, and he has raised a culture to do the same. But once we open that, that conference room door and we go out into the public, we've got to be raving fans of one another. And if you get those two things backwards, you'll get fired. I mean, that's just, you're going to end up not being successful. If you are a raving fan in the conference room and you're, you know, for lack of a better term, a brown noser or a yes man or woman, but then you go out into the public eye and, and uh, you're constantly critiquing to you know, other people that have nothing to do with your ministry, or you're jumping on board and, and dogpiling when you get the chance out in the in the public, then you get that backwards, man. That's when things go wrong as an organization. So 
that is something that we try to create those environments where you can have radical candor and honest dialogue. And then we also want to be raving fans. Um, but we're not dumb. We know we're not a perfect church and we know we're not a perfect organization and we know we're continuing to be sanctified individually and collectively. But we just know the right time and place to bring that honest critique. And the way to develop trust and love amongst the team is to, is to do that behind a closed door privately and then be great raving fans of celebratory out in the public realm. Man, radical candor. That's a, I love the way you put that. Um, for someone listening in, how do you, how, this is, this could probably be an entire podcast as well, but how do you, you made the comment about setting the stage for that and creating the environment where that's welcome. Uh, what's a tip or two yeah. that you would recommend in creating that kind of culture? All right. Here's the deal. Radical candor, honest critique cannot happen if a leader doesn't go first. Mm. All right. So that could be in any way. I mean, I'm a preacher, so radical candor for me is getting better as a preacher. I need to open myself up and say, hey, guys, you guys heard my sermon last night. Um, give me a couple of things that you loved about it. What are a couple of things that, that, that you didn't love about it? Where could we maybe gain a little bit? And I go first. And by going first, it creates the space that, hey, I'm okay, and I trust and love you guys and your feedback, and I know you love and trust me, so that when I give feedback of you, you know that it's coming from a place of equity that I'm not in an ivory tower talking downhill uh, and condescending, but this is a team trying to evaluate and get better. So that's, that's one of the tricks, the life hacks, if you will, to radical candor. The other one is you've got to be about celebration because there's no way people are going to open themselves up to critique or coaching if they've not first received great affirmation and celebration. And so if we make a frequency of celebrating a lot, it makes it a lot easier when I've got a critique also. So the way we say it is we celebrate first, we coach second, and we critique third in that order. And so the way it works is, doesn't matter if it's a, a sermon series that we're celebrating first, or it doesn't matter if it's an event that we put on for our group's people, or doesn't matter if it's a meeting we have. We want to celebrate the things we want to see done again, because what is celebrated is what's replicated. Talk to any parent who's potty trained their child. What gets celebrated is how you get it replicated. Uh, we do that first. We want to coach second. That's back to that posture of question asking. We want the leaders that are trying to get better to ask questions and, re and, and ask for coaching. It makes it a lot easier to get the things that need to get done done if everybody is open to trying to get better. But what will happen sometimes from time to time is an insecure, even a young leader, they won't open themselves up to coaching. And our job is to not pull any punches. We've got standards to hold up. Remember, we've got to keep that banner flying high so everybody knows which way we're marching. Hmm. And so we will critique third if somebody doesn't allow for coaching naturally. So celebrate first, coach second, critique third. That's the way you set up an environment and a culture radical. Man, that's some really good stuff. And let me let me wrap it all up here with this. I think a lot of people in leadership, you tend to think, oh, those people that I lead or with my boss. And oftentimes you, you know, there's there's there can be good relationship vertically, but there may not be such good relationship horizontally. Why would you say um that this idea of of 360 degree leadership, including leading yourself, is so important? 
not just your relationship with your boss or those beneath you or those around you. It's not one separate from the rest, but all of it together. Why is that so important? I think it's just acknowledging that the 360-degree leader, the middle management individual, is the most influential leader in an organization. And I think if you don't see your relationship with the other, you know, the blind side, if you will, if you're only focused on brown nosing your boss, uh, then you're not seeing the fullness of your leadership stewardship, you know, uh, that you have been given, I have been given, uh, even, you know, whether it's in, the, in your family or in your job at work or your team on the, you know, high school ball team or the college team or right here in ministry, you know, you've got a, a real big role to play to sharpen and raise the culture. You're not just trying to make yourself a great leader. You're trying to make a culture that's great, that cultivates even better leaders down the road. Uh, and so if you want to do that, you've got to see the 360-degree spectrum and not just be hyper-focused on one versus the other. And I think that's the reason that 360-degree leaders really do matter. And the, and, the, and the leader that becomes aware of that and walks in that, I guess, epiphany or revelation, they're going to be massively influential. It's going to be an exponential, uh, I guess, you know, if you want to use this uh, phrase, competitive advantage. The culture that tries to adapt to a 360-degree model is going to have such a rich, productive, um, replicatable culture that, man, the, you know, the goals that they have are going to just be popping off and they're going to be in a contagious environment and a contagious team that everybody wants to be a part of. And it's all because they were aware of and they leveraged the 360 degrees of influence that the Lord's given them in their leadership. Man, that's really, really good. That's incredible. Uh, heck of a way to end the end the conversation here. But Brad, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about that? Hey, man, I don't mind throwing my email address out here. My my email is just brad.cooper at newspring.cc, brad.cooper at newspring.cc. And if we can ever serve you wherever you are, we'd love to do so. I'm also all over social media, and so it doesn't matter if you're Snapchatting or Facebooking tweeting or Instagramming, uh, BCOOP is probably the quickest one, B-C-O-O-P on Twitter and on my Twitter profile, all my other ones are listed there. So anyway, it's been an honor. Thank you guys. Thank all y'all listeners out there for what you do, for the way you're adding value to the world, to teams, to families, wherever you find yourself, God has put you there on purpose, for a purpose and with purpose. I hope this has encouraged you and keep going, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's making a difference. Thanks again, Brad, and go Clemson. Hey, come on now. There we go. Go Tigers. Talk to you later, brother. Have a good day. Thanks so much for listening today, folks. What an incredible interview with Brad Cooper. Brad, thanks for joining us on the show. And, uh, you know, folks, today's episode was brought to you by creativesheep.org. Feel free to drop on over there for all your church media needs. Uh, if you don't find something you like, drop us a line and we can get you taken care of on uh, something custom. Love working with churches all over the United States and really around the world. And folks, as always, you can follow us on social media at creative underscore sheep at creative underscore sheep would love to chat with you there and you feel free to email me if you'd like my email is simply jared j-a-r-e-d at creativesheep.org would love to hear from you and folks until next time keep living the dream